Section 26 of The Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 11. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 11. Edited by Charles Dudley Warner. Section 26. Jean-François Casimir de la Vigne. 1793-1843. By Frédéric Lollier. This French lyrical poet and dramatist, born in Havre in 1793 and brought up in Paris, was awarded a prize by the Académie Française in 1811, elected a member of that illustrious body July 7, 1825, and died December 11, 1843. When hardly twenty years of age, he had already made his name famous by dithyrams, the form of which, imitated from the ancients, enabled him to express in sufficiently poetic manner quite modern sentiments. Possessed of brilliant and easy imagination, moderately enthusiastic, and more sober than powerful, he hit upon a lucky vein which promptly led him to fame. He described the recent disasters of his country in fine odes entitled Messenien, in allusion to the chance in which the defeated Messenians deplored the hardships inflicted on them by the Spartans. Those political elegies were named La Battle de Waterloo, the Battle of Waterloo, La Devastation de Musée, the Spoilation of the Museum, sur le besoin de s'unir après le départ des étrangers on the necessity of union after the departure of the foreigners they expressed emotions agitating the mind of the country at the same time they appealed to the heart of the liberals of the period by uttering their regrets for vanished power their rancor against the victorious party their fears for threatened liberty the circumstances, the passions of the day, as also the awakening of young and new talent, all concurred to favor Casimir de la Vigne, who almost from the very first attained high reputation. In 1819, the publication of two more Messeniennes on the life and death of Joan of Arc, inspired like the first with deep patriotic fervor, was received with enthusiasm. Earlier even than the day of Lamartine and Victor Hugo, Casimir de la Vigne had the glory of stirring the heart of France. He had the added merit of maintaining, after Beaumarchais and before Émile Augier, the dignity of high comedy. Ingenious scenes of life, lively and spirited details, grace and delicacy of style, save from oblivion such pieces as L'Ecole des Veillards, the School of Age, first performed by the great artists Mademoiselle Mars and Talma, and Don Juan d'Autriche, Don John of Austria, a prose comedy. Other dramas of his, Marino Faliero, Les Vepres Siciliennes, the Sicilian Vespers, Louis Anse, Les Enfants d'Edouard, 
the children of Edward, and La Fille du Cid, the daughter of the Cid, are still read with admiration, or acted to applauding spectators. A pure disciple of Racine at first, Delavine deftly managed to adopt some innovations of the Romanticist school. Marino Faliero was the first of his productions in which, relinquishing the so-called classic rules, he endeavoured, as a French critic fitly remarks, to introduce a kind of eclecticism in stage literature, a bold attempt, tempered with prudent reserve, in which he wisely combined the processes favoured by the new school with current tradition. That play is indeed a happy mixture of drama and comedy. It contains familiar dialogues and noble outbursts, which, however, do not violate the proprieties of academic style. Though he never displayed the genius of Lamartine or of Victor Hugo, and though some of his pictures have faded since the appearance of the dazzling productions of the great masters of Romanticism, Casimir de la Vigne still ranks high in the literature of his country and century, thanks to the lofty and steady qualities, to the tender and generous feeling, to the noble independence, which were the honourable characteristics of his talent and his individuality. His works, first published in Paris in 1843 in six octavo volumes, went through many subsequent editions. Selection The Confession of Louis Hans by Jean-Francois Casimir de la Vigne On the point of dying, Louis Hans clings desperately to life and summons before him a holy monk, Francis de Paula, whom he implores to work a miracle in his favour and prolong his life. Dramatis Personae, King Louis Eleventh and St. Francis de Paula, founder of the Order of the Franciscan Friars. Louis, we are alone now. Francis, what do you wish of me? Louis, who has knelt down, at your knees see me trembling with hope and fear. What can I do for you? Everything, father, you can do everything. You can call the dead to life again. I? To the dead, you say, leave your graves, and they leave them. Who? I? You bid our ailments to be cured. I, my son? And they are cured. When you command the skies clear, the wind suddenly blows or likewise abates. The falling thunderbolt at your command moves back to the clouds. Oh, I implore you, who in the air can keep up the beneficent dew, or let it pour its welcome freshness on the withering plant, impart fresh vigour to my old limbs? See me, I am dying. Revive my drooping energy. Stretch ye out your arms to me. Touch ye those livid features of mine, and the spell of your hands will cause my wrinkles to vanish. What do you ask of me? You surprise me, my son. Am I equal to God? From your lips I first learn that I go abroad rendering oracles, and with my hands working miracles. At least ten years, father, grant me ten more years to live, and upon you I shall lavish honours and presents. I shall found shrines to your name, in gold and jasper shall have your relics set, but— 
Twenty years more life are too little a reward for so much wealth and incense. I beseech you, work a whole miracle. Do not cut so short the thread of my life. A whole miracle. Give me new life and prolong my days. To do God's work is not in his creature's power. What, when everything dies, you alone should last? King, such is not God's will. I, his feeble creature, cannot alter for you the course of nature. All that which grows must vanish. All that which is born must perish. Man himself and his works, the tree and its fruit alike. All that produces does so only for a time. Tis the law here below. For eternity death alone shall fructify. You wear out my patience. Do your duty, monk. Work in my favor your marvelous power. For if you refuse, I shall compel you. Do you forget that I am a king? The holy oil anointed my forehead. Oh, pardon me, but it is your duty to do more for kings, for crowned heads, than for those obscure and unfortunate wretches whom, but for your prayers, God in heaven would never have remembered. Kings and their subjects are equal in the eyes of the Lord. He owes you his aid as to the rest of his children. Be more just to yourself, and claim for your soul that help for which you beg. No, not so much at a time. Let us now mind the body. I shall think of the soul by and by. It is your remorse, O king, tis that smarting wound inflicted by your crimes, which slowly drags your body to final ruin. The priests absolved me. Vain hope! The weight of your present alarms is made up of thirty years of iniquitous life confess your shame disclose your sins and let sincere repentance wash away your defiled soul should i get cured perhaps say yes promise that i shall i am going to confess all to me such is my will listen speak then sinner who summon me to perform this holy ministry i cannot and dare not refuse what are your sins? Through fear of the Dauphin, the late king died of starvation. A son shortened his own father's old age. I was that Dauphin. You were. My father's weakness was ruining France. A favorite ruled. France must have perished had not the king done so. State interests are higher than— confess thy sins thou wicked son do not excuse thy wrongdoings i had a brother what of him who died poisoned were you instrumental in his death they suspected me god almighty if those who said so fell in my power is it true his ghost rising from the grave can alone with impunity accuse me of his death so you were guilty of it? The traitor deserved it. You would escape your just punishment. Tremble. I was your brother. I am now your judge. Crushed under your sin. Bend low your head. Return to nothingness, empty majesty. I no longer see the king. I hear the criminal. To your knees, fratricide. I shudder. Repent. I own my fault. Have pity on me. 
i beat my breast and repent another crime i do not excuse it is this not all nemour he was a conspirator but his death his crime was proved but under his scaffold his children's tears thrice against his lord he had taken up arms his life-blood spattered them yet his death was but just cruel cruel king just but severe i confess it i punished but no i have committed crimes in mid-air the fatal knot has strangled my victims in murderous pits they have been stabbed with steel the waters have put an end to them the earth has acted as their jailer prisoners buried beneath these towers groan forgotten in their depths oh since there are wrongs which you can still repair come where to let us set free those prisoners statecraft forbids charity orders come and save your soul and risk my crown as a king i cannot as a christian you must i have repented let that suffice that avails nothing have i not confessed my sins they are not condoned while you persist in them the church has indulgences which a king can pay for god's pardon is not to be bought we must deserve it i claim it by right of my anguish o oh, father if you knew my sufferings you would shed tears of pity the intolerable bodily pain i endure constitutes but half my troubles and my least suffering i desire the places where i cannot be everywhere remorse pursues me i avoid the living i live among the dead i spend dreadful days and nights more terrible the darkness assumes visible shapes silence disturbs me and when i pray to my saviour i hear his voice say what would you with me accursed when asleep a demon sits on my chest i drive him away and a naked sword stabs me furiously i rise aghast human blood inundates my couch and my hand seized by a hand cold as death is plunged in that blood and feels hideous moving debris ah oh, wretched man you shudder such are my days and nights my sleep my life yet dying i agonize to live and fear to drink the last drop of that bitter cup come then forgive the wrongs others have done you and thus abate your own tortures a deed of mercy will buy you rest and when you awake some voice at least will bless your name come do not tarry wait wait will the lord wait to-morrow but to-morrow to-night now perhaps death awaits you i am well protected the unloved are ill protected come come give me time time to make up my mind i leave you murderer i cannot forgive your crimes what do you condemn me god may forgive all when he still hesitates how could i condemn take advantage of the delay he grants you weep pray obtain from his mercy the softening of your heart towards those unfortunates forgive and let the light of day shine for them once more 
when you seized the attribute of divine vengeance they denounced your name from the depth of their jails in their bitter anguish and their shrieks and moans drowned your prayers now end those sufferings and god shall hear your prayers translated for a library of the world's best literature end of section twenty six